our church, in its vision statement, says it wants to grow a loving community. But do we really want to grow a loving community? I mean, think about that for a minute. Why would you want to do that? That would take a lot of time and effort. That would take commitment on our part. And isn't life easier or better if you just do life on your own? That's certainly what our culture is trying to tell us, and I certainly don't believe that, but that's what our culture is telling us on a regular basis. It tells us, live for yourself. Do life on your own. Or, you know what, you don't need to go to church to connect with people. You can just go online, right? You don't have to find community at church. But we're rediscovering that the community that we all long for cannot be found on social media. Social media is not a bad thing, but but it doesn't give us the community that we long for. A loving community, indeed, takes work and commitment, but when the church is functioning as it should, it offers the type of community and connection that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. And so let's look at one of the early church examples, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and Paul writes here to the Thessalonians, and he's writing to them in chapter 4 about how to please God. And so in verses 9 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, to this early church community, he says, Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So here we have an example of an early church community, and Paul essentially says to them, I probably don't need to teach you on loving one another. You know this. You know this in your minds, and indeed you're even doing this. But, he says in verse 10, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. So if you're wondering why we should be a loving community, first of all, it's commanded, but let me try to give you a few more reasons or motivations for that. Since the beginning of the Church of Jesus Christ, one of the litmus tests for genuine faith has been that a community of believers loved one another. In other words, one of the ways that you can tangibly see whether or not a community of people are actually Christians is how they love one another. Now, to be fair, there's some other tests in Scripture about you know deciding whether your faith is genuine or not. What you believe about Jesus will prove that, and also your obedience to the Scriptures has also been used as a test. But one of the primary tests since the beginning of the church, whether or not a group of people or individuals are Christians, has been that they love one another. 
And of course, that's rooted in the statement that Jesus gave to his disciples uh, the night before he was betrayed, John 13, 34 and 35. Right before he's to be betrayed, Jesus says something to them that I think is astounding. He says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's an amazing statement. As Jesus is creating this new humanity, as Jesus is creating this new community of people, which is going to be an alternate community from the world around them, uh, he's developing, he's creating, he's gathering this new community of people that he's going to call the church, and he says, you're going to be a city on a hill. And by being the community of people that everyone sees, and they're going to see your good deeds, and they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. And one of the primary ways you're going to shine brightly in this world that you're going to be this alternate society in that shows people the way things are going to be, when I return, Jesus says, is the way that you love one another. Amazing. And if you think about it, as Christians, it seems like we're always trying to look for something to, to mark us, something to, to show the world, or maybe it's more to show ourselves or each other that we are Christians, some way that we can be identified. And Christians have tried to do this many ways over the years. Um, several years ago, people had those WWJD bracelets. Do you remember that? So you see the WJD bracelet. Oh, that person must be a believer. Okay, he has a WWJD bracelet. Or, you know, maybe we wear some kind of uh, jewelry or a cross. A lot of people wear a cross. You know, that's cool. But, I mean, if you think deeply about it, that's a little bit strange. But it's a mark. It identifies that we're a Christian. Or uh, maybe we have a fish or a fish bumper sticker kind of thing on our car. You know, just to, to indicate that we're Christian. And, and those things are fine. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of them. It's fine to have those. Just illustrating with those things that we like to be marked or identify ourselves as Christians. And in John 13, you have Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, what's going to mark you is the way that you love one another. Namely, that you love one another in a, in a way that I have loved you in the same way. So I think that's to be noted. That's astounding. Francis Schaeffer, uh, author, picks up on this idea. And he says, Love is the mark that Jesus gives to label a Christian, not just in one era or one locality, but at all times and in all places until Jesus returns. This is one of the marks. This is what he gives us. Schaefer continues, and he says, it's as if Jesus turns to the world and he says, I have something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you the right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love that he shows to all Christians. So it's amazing that Jesus would turn to the world and say, hey, listen, I'm I'm giving you the right, I'm giving you the authority to judge whether or not somebody is really a Christian by the way that they love one another. I think that's remarkable. Why should we be a loving community? Uh, The first reason is that 
Love is a mark that Jesus gives to identify Christians. It's a mark. And and the early church understood this. The early church believed this. They believed what Jesus said. Which is why over and over, as you read through the New Testament, you'll see the apostles writing to the people, preaching to the people, reminding the people how crucial their love for one another is. Let me quickly just give you a few examples. And we'll do this from three different New Testament writers. First of all, Paul to the believers in Rome. uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Paul says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then you'll have the Apostle John in the book of 2 John, verse 5. He says, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And then the author of the Hebrews, he says to the people who are suffering, and they're being persecuted, in the face of that persecution, he tells the Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 1, he says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Just a few examples. But over and over, as you read the New Testament, you have these men in the Scriptures echoing this statement that Jesus made it's all over the place. Um, this, this whole idea, this commandment of love one another. And so for us, the way that you're going to mark yourself is the way that you love one another. And the apostles say, don't quit doing that. Continue to grow in love for one another. To love each other the way that Christ has loved us. But not only that, Uh, The writers not only point out in the scriptures to love one another, but they note where this is absent in a community or in a person's life. When love is absent, these communities and individuals are actually proving that they're not Christians, or at least they're not acting like Christians. So we don't just have commandments to love one another, we actually have in addition, apostles and pastors saying, you know, if you don't do that, here's what it means. An example of that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And many of you will recognize 1 Corinthians 13 as something that we often read at weddings, which is appropriate. I think it's, it's a good passage to read at weddings. But I think sometimes we've heard it so often in that context that we forget the original context of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth at a time when the church is divided. And they're divided because the manifestations of the Spirit are becoming something that they are looking to in order to define them. And so the church is divided and the unity is gone. And this chapter on love comes in the midst of this discussion that Paul's having with them to love one another and to be unified. And so right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about how it doesn't matter what gifts you're operating in. It doesn't matter what the corporate gathering looks like or how many people are prophesying or how many people are speaking in tongues. None of that matters, he says, if you're not loving one another. And if you're not loving one another, not only is that a bad thing, but it does something to you personally. It transforms you from being someone who is able to edify the church, which is what we want to be, into someone who's really a non-factor, 
or a spectator. That's what Paul says here. It's, 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 it's a little bit shocking. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. He's not just saying it's a bad thing. He's saying it does something to us. It transforms us into nothing if we're not loving people. And that, that hits you kind of hard, I think. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he goes into that description that we often hear at weddings. Um, He's saying, if you do not love, you're nothing. And so I bring that out because this is a crucial and central part to the community, that we love one another, that we be loving especially in terms of how we use and operate our spiritual gifts. And some of you are going, yeah, I thought you were in a series on spiritual gifts. Now you're in loving community. Here's where it connects, okay? We've been taught that God has given each believer a spiritual gift or gifts through the Holy Spirit. And so each one of us has a unique set of gifts, which is very exciting. But are those gifts given... For our own benefit? No. Are those gifts given to be used independently of the rest of the body? No. God also provides a place for those gifts to be used in connection with one another. And so the Bible says that as believers, we're designed to use these different gifts like different parts of a physical body. So... If you don't have a loving community of believers in your life, you aren't going to find God's full design for your life. Another way to say that is that we are created to live and grow in a loving community of believers. And I know this flies kind of in the face of the independence that we value in our culture, but we are are created and designed to, to live in loving community. We, we long for it. And the reason that we long for it is because we were designed to live in the midst of that. So, why should we be a loving community? Because love is a mark that identifies us as Christians. But secondly, God designed us to grow and mature in a loving community. And so it's very clear in the scriptures that that a loving community is central to the character of a church, and it's important for each one of us. And by now you might be thinking, you know, that sounds good. I've heard some of this before, but what does that really mean? I mean, how how are we supposed to love one another or live in a a loving community? What, What does that really look like? And I thought it would be interesting if we asked some of those questions to some who are in our community and ask them what they think about this loving community and the value of that. Let's hear what they have to say on that. Um, I think in the context of a church, a loving community is a group of people that are concerned about others. Um, it's 
taking that emphasis of self and putting it on others and so um, and loving people the way that Jesus did. A loving community to me is a community that comes together, helps those who uh, are in need, uh, be it young moms, single moms, widows, um, helping each other through life. Well, to me, a loving community is one that everyone in the community is maybe kind of looking out for each other, and if something comes up, there's always somebody right there to kind of help and help them do what needs to be done and to show that the church does love them. It can look like a variety of different things, whether that's um, helping to fill needs uh, of people within a congregation or within the community. Um, it can look, um, be acts of service. It can be through generosity and care in um, those ways as well. So, um, but yeah, it's ultimately just loving your neighbors you love yourself. The living life, I think, exemplifies that in a lot of great ways. Uh, one is the, the Wednesday night dinners to reach out to the community, the kids' programs. Um, the, the GLS that they put on this year was was a great outreach to the business community. Um, those are the things that stick out of my mind right now that uh, you know, First really reaches out to. When you look at our church, we see so many things that are going on right now and have gone on that you can't hardly help but think that we are loving church because... We send people on these mission trips, and our granddaughter has gone on them, and actually this summer I think she's planning on maybe going back to Kenya again. Uh, so our mission is to show people the love of the church and to go out and bring Jesus to people's lives and to tell them about Jesus. And that's to me, that's a loving community, and that's the missions that we are here to fulfill. Me personally, I've seen that in the last couple of months. And after Truman was born, uh, we had there was a whole long list of people that signed up to bring us meals twice a week. And so, you know, we had those meals given um, throughout the months of October and November. And uh, that's an example of what a loving community does: is stepping in and seeing a need and filling that need and uh, going above and beyond um, to make people feel like they belong. I think as being on the hospitality um, committee, we've been trying to do different things, set up different things for people that come in that we can give them to tell them about our church and what, what, and in the pews we have cards. If they need help, they can write out the card and put it in the collection plate. So I think we're here to help anyone that needs the help. And I think that's kind of our mission of our church is to fulfill those commitments. I think more than anything is just being aware of uh, the people around you and growing in that awareness and uh, what they're going through and saying hello and um, I guess getting out of your comfort zone sometimes. If there's any new ideas, I think maybe uh, some ideas would just be out in the community and just serve and look to where what needs are out there um, and, then, and then go after them. I think maybe uh, we try to do programs. I don't know that we need another program, but we just need to get to know our neighbor and know what their needs are. 
So we're certainly not perfect, but we're trying to be a loving community. We want to be a loving community. What does that look like? I think it's a good question, and frankly, there could be a whole series of sermons on that. But I I think the Scripture gives us some helpful hints. Um, There are different expressions of love, certainly. But one of the primary ways that genuine love expresses itself, one of the primary ways that we can love one another and be obedient to these Scriptures, is by serving one another. Again, this is all over the Bible, and you see Paul and Peter really connecting these two ideas of loving community and serving one another uh, really beautifully in a couple of different scriptures. First Peter 4, 7 and 8, uh, Peter says, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And then he begins to unpack some of the expressions of what this love would look like. Verse 9, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So as we're trying to figure out what does a loving community look like, Scripture gives us this hint that one of the expressions is definitely serving one another. And in Galatians 5, Paul is writing to a church that's struggling with what it means to be true Christians. And so he says in verse 13, chapter 5, Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see that one of the primary expressions of genuine love is serving. In other words, if we love one another, if we're loving one another in the way that the Scriptures teach us because of what Christ has done for us, if we're loving one another, we will serve one another. So let me attempt to give you a a definition of service. This isn't uh, an academic definition, but as I think about service, here's a definition. We are serving when... We deliberately look for needs around our church family of all sorts and find ways to meet them through loving deeds, seeking as little recognition as possible. It's a fairly decent definition there. When we're doing that, we're serving one another. And that can work itself out in a number of different ways. And you'll note in the, in the notes this morning, there's the question of how can we be a more loving community? And then underneath... I just left that blank um, because I don't want to limit you. There's a lot of different directions this could go. And you can probably figure out better in terms of your gifts and passions what that looks like. But I do want to throw out a few ideas on how we can be a more loving community. And, And it really could start when people enter this building, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday night or whenever, or last week, We had ice on the parking lot, so it really could start by going out to these people and helping them get in the building. Uh, But as people come in the building for the first time, usually in the first five minutes, they get an idea in their mind of whether this is a loving community or not. So how can we make people feel welcome? 
Actually, I think loving community starts with our whole attitude as we come here. As Jesus said, we don't come to be served, but to serve. That we, we come saying, I'm going to serve others in this place. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to help them get connected. I'm going to help them feel welcome to this body of Christ. And so, as we love one another, it, it expresses itself naturally through serving. And Jesus said that this would identify us or mark us as his people. So let me just ask you a few questions on on this topic this morning. Are you allowing God to shape you and use you in the way that he has designed? So if you believe what the scriptures say, that he's designed us to live in a loving community of people, are you allowing God to shape you and using you in the way that he's designed. Are you becoming more like him by loving and serving the church? And and when I say church, please don't think of a building. The church is, is people. It's people. It's not a place. And so are you becoming more like Christ by loving and serving the church? When you come to family dinner here on Wednesday night, and I hope you do come, when you come to family dinner here on Wednesday night, Are you focused on what food is being served or on what people you can serve and encourage? Is your love for the church expressing itself in service? Are you serving the church or are you letting, just letting the church serve you? So some of you might be thinking, okay, okay, I've got it, Pastor Mark. I want to be obedient to these scriptures that talk about loving and serving the church. I got it, but how do I do that? I mean, how would I do that? Okay, let me just throw out a few ideas. Did you know that our church has a care team? Uh, We have a team of people that intentionally tries to visit people who have special needs, who aren't able to come to worship on Sundays. Uh, Maybe they aren't able to get around. We have a team that visits and cares for people, and maybe they need rides to church or to different activities. If that's something that you would be excited about doing, uh, talk to Doug Wieskamp or Carrie Prange. They're on on the care team. And then how could you be involved in that? But maybe you're thinking, well, ah, visiting people, that's really not me. I'm not really, that's not my passion or my gift. But, you know, I'd really like to have people come over to my house. Love to host people in my house. Sure wish the church had more for small group opportunities. But, you know, the, the best small groups, personally, that I've been a part of have been small groups that happened Well, they weren't planned by the church leadership. They weren't programs laid out. They were just people who knew that we grow in community. They wanted to see other people connect and care for them. And so they opened up their home and they came and we talked about something biblical, something that would point us towards God. And we just cared and prayed for each other. Those have been the best small groups in my life. And I don't think any of them were actually a church program. They were just people loving and caring for each other. And so did you know that you could host a small group at any time you wanted to? Did you know that? Like, oh, wait a minute. I, uh, I, I, I wouldn't know what to teach or I, I 
I wouldn't know what to talk about, and I don't think I could do, do that. But did you know, and did you notice, that in your bulletin every week, there's material that you could talk about just from the Sunday morning message. And there's questions there that you could discuss. All the prep work is done for you. And if people would miss the Sunday morning message, maybe they're not here, they could go online and listen to it. They could get the notes from our website. And so all you would have to do is invite a small group of people over, talk about how many times you'd like to meet and what time of the day work. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. It can be any time during the week. Um, And we're just going to unpack the message a little bit. We're going to talk about what's happening in our lives. And we're going to pray and care for each other. No prep work. No prep work. Just listen to the Sunday morning message. Talk about it with other people. Love and care for each other. You can do that. And when you do that, you're building a loving community. You're part of that process. And so don't wait for the church to tell you what to do or how to do it, or when to do it. Just provide a place for loving community. That's one idea. Let me, let me just mention one more. Lots of different directions you go with this. One more idea. Have you noticed that our church right now has a lot of little ones running around? we got a lot of young parents. That's great. We want that. We want little ones here. We want... Uh, we want to encourage our parents. Have you also noticed, now don't, don't misunderstand me when I say this, um, have you also noticed that these young parents need help? I mean, they need help. <laughs> but I, I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I mean they're at a point in their life where they are basically on call 24-7. They're doing good just to get here on Sunday morning. And so how can we be a loving community? How can we help them uh, as they're bringing up their kids? How can we bless these parents? How can we be a loving community? What if this fall we offered some kind of children's church type of program that met during our Sunday morning service so that we could help these parents plant seeds of faith in their lives? And at the same time, they would actually have space here on Sunday morning where they could focus on what was being said and, and on the Word and, and not be distracted. Um, I think that would, that would be a loving community kind of thing to do. And so if you would be interested in that vision, if you would be willing to, to teach young kids, you'd be willing to give up your Sunday morning worship occasionally to do that, talk to Rick DeBoer or Chad Bryant on our discipleship education team because we're talking about how we can do that. Um, let them know that you'd like to see that go forward, that you'd like to bless these young parents and the kids and teach as needed. That would be a great example of loving community. So our vision statement says that we want to grow a loving community. But I want to end this morning by just acknowledging that the kind of love that we need and the kind of love that we want to show comes not from our own strength. It comes from Jesus and allowing His Spirit to fill us with His love and His power so that we can show that to others. Keep in mind that He is the key to loving community. He's the designer and He's the sustainer.